Hey everyone and welcome to the Year Was, the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host Michael Montalbo and for the next few minutes we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes today truly unique. On this episode we examine the events that occurred August 5th. Tis true my form is something odd, but blaming me is blaming God. Could I create myself anew, I would not fail in pleasing you. If I could reach from pole to pole, or grasp the ocean with a span, I would be measured by the soul, the mind's the standard of the man. False Greatness by Isaac Watts, as used in the letters of Joseph Merrick. The world knows the name Joseph Merrick. They just may not realize they know it. It's one of those things that, again, has seeped into our collective conscience. To make a long story short and then make it long again, Joseph Merrick suffered from rare conditions and became a part of early freak shows as well as the subject of plays and movies and shows and books that all dive into his history. But why is that? Well, if you click to this podcast and are listening to it, then you know Joseph Merrick was a disfigured man with a medical mystery and is better known to the world as the Elephant Man. The year was 1862, and on this day, August 5th, the Elephant Man, Joseph Merrick, was born. Born in Leicestershire, England, to Mary Jane and father's name not found, he actually lived a pretty normal life up until the age of two, or five, it varies, when his mother began to notice his skin had begun to change. In some areas, the skin only darkened and became discolored, but in other areas, the skin began to show growths that were lumpy and rough. These lumps began to grow on his neck and his chest and his head, and left Mary Jane with little more to do than to worry for her son, who had already begun to be bullied by other boys. This wasn't a temporary ailment. As he grew older, more and more changes began to occur. The right side of his head grew to a circumference of three feet, bringing with it added discomfort. It caused his skin to become spongy and hang from the back, while his right hand grew so large and deformed that by age 12, it was useless. At one point, his wrist measured a circumference of 12 inches, with his largest finger measuring 5 inches around. The size was not the only deformity he suffered, though. He had a fin-like hand, and his legs were deformed much in the same way his arm was. In fact, it was to the point where his hip was so affected that he was essentially lame and could only walk with the help of a stick. Despite all of this, up until his mother's death of bronchial pneumonia when Joseph was 11, by most accounts, he lived a normal life and had a normal childhood. His father, who I just found out might have also been named Joseph, was not a fan of his son. After trying to sell items door to door but failing to earn enough money, his father beat him and that sent Joseph on a path to a union workhouse when he was only 17. The reasons for this are unfortunately obvious. People had a hard time understanding Merrick and he often frightened them because of his deformities. From here, in the workhouse, Merrick worked four years before escaping and joining a freak show as a half-man, half-elephant, 
And that actually surprised me as I thought he was either sold into it or just abandoned. By 1884, Joseph Merrick had moved to London and set up shop in a shop where he was displayed across the street from the London Hospital. And it was at this hospital that surgeon Frederick Treves worked. Hospital staff would occasionally visit the shop to see Merrick and it was on one of these visits that Treves invited him to the hospital for an examination. From this examination, we learned of the circumference of his deformities and also that his skin had a warty appearance with an unpleasant smell. We also learned that Merrick was, despite his abnormalities, in good health. So Merrick continued working for the freak show, and here's where things take a turn for him. Given a new manager and moving to Belgium, it was soon after his arrival that he was robbed and beaten and left to fend for himself. Accounts differ here. In some places, it's written he was found with Treves's card in his pocket, while others say he managed his way back to London on his own and went to Treves looking for sanctuary. No matter the version, he would live four years at the London hospital and, by all accounts, enjoyed his time that he spent there, until his death, April 11th, 1890. So how did he die? On the night of the 10th, he had tried to sleep horizontally. He normally slept in a sitting fetal position. But his head fell at a bad angle and he ended up dislocating his neck, leading to asphyxiation. He was only 27. But that might not be the whole story. In a Discovery UK special, it is speculated that Merrick did not try to sleep horizontally. In photos, he is shown looking to the left, but when his body was found, it was shown in a neutral, straightforward position. This suggests that his head may have been forcefully moved to that final position. Not necessarily malicious intent, though. Think of it like when your head falls back when you're falling asleep and you jerk it forward. Because of the weight of his head, that motion would damage his neck and cut off arteries, which could have led to a stroke. Now I hear you. What exactly was wrong with him? As in, what did he suffer from? Well, prepare for a mispronunciation of medical terms. First, let's go back a bit. Merrick's mother thought he showed these deformities because she had been knocked to the ground by an elephant at a fair when she was pregnant, although some claim Merrick himself started this rumor. This, along with his appearance, most certainly led to his freak show name of The Elephant Man. I couldn't find examples of early cases in my many minutes of research, but I did find that he is often misdiagnosed with a case of elephantitis, which causes gross enlargements of usually the limbs and is caused by an obstruction of the lymphatic system. That was actually the accepted diagnosis for a hundred years. In 1976, a doctor theorized that instead it was neurofibromatosis, which is a rare disorder that causes tumors to grow in the nervous system, and at face value, either of these would make sense, but photos of Merrick do not show the characteristic brown spots the disorder is known for. In addition to this, we know from his skeleton that these growths were on his bone and not tumors. More on his skeleton in a moment. Finally, in 1996, radiologist Amita Sharma examined x-rays of Merrick and determined that he had suffered from Proteus syndrome. This is an extremely rare disorder and was actually only identified in 1979. 
Proteus syndrome is known to cause multiple lesions of the lymph nodes, overgrowth of one side of the body, an abnormally large head, and partial gigantism of the feet with darkened spots or moles on the skin. Merrick actually displayed all of these symptoms, and so it is now generally accepted that this was the ailment he suffered from. Now, let's get back to a skeleton. Upon his death, molds were made, and we actually have DNA samples from the hair that was caught in this molding process. Merrick was a Christian, and it's believed that he wanted a Christian burial. A few years ago, a grave thought to be Merrick's was found, but the problem we have here is that his skeleton is in Queen Mary University of London. The university claims that Merrick expected to be preserved after his death, while others argue that he only agreed to be studied during life. Whichever the case, this is not something you can just walk up and see. The skeleton is kept in a private room behind glass and is available to see only by appointment, usually to medical students and professionals. The university acts as the custodian for the remains, which continue to be studied, and often consults with descendants over their care. Concerns are often raised over the difficulty of a potential burial because of the nature of the skeleton and the fame of it. Security would have to be a top concern. The only real marker that I could find to his life in a way of memorial readily available to the public is a plaque in Leicestershire that was placed in 2004 and pays tribute to the man. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.